Well, here we are. I don't know about you, but uh, it is, in many respects, the most wonderful time of the year. Um, it is a time for many of us as we would uh, spend uh, more time with family, more time with friends, uh, more time together focusing. Um, our world just seems to be a little bit different. Um, I don't know about you, but during this season, the Christmas season, the Advent season, uh, whenever I hear of something bad happening on the news, I'm more astonished than I typically am any other rest of the time of the year. I'm like, don't they know it's Christmas? Because I love this season. And I love uh, this time. Um, for the next five weeks, as Pastor Justin mentioned earlier, we are going to uh, be taking a break from the Gospel of Matthew um, to really looking at this idea of what does it mean to be a part of the Advent, to truly worship Jesus as the, the one who has come, but also the one who is coming again. That we have a responsibility, we have a, a, a joy that we get to participate in what it truly means to behold God. That we can often, through uh, many of the, the lights and the tinsel and, and all the joys, uh, get really messed up on what this is truly about. As we were coming home from my parents, um, celebrating Thanksgiving the other night, I was... I almost met, wrecked my vehicle when I heard my daughter say this. She said, Daddy, like, I'm cool with Christmas being on a Sunday, and I get we need to, you know, we're going to be going to church on that day and, and all that, but I, I, just, I just want you to know, I just really want to get to my grandparents so I can open the, <laughs> the presents, right? Um, you know, with, with Christmas, there can be a lot of expectations, can't there? Um, there are many people who will experience a bout of depression after Christmas Day. And a lot of it has to do with all of these built-up expectations um, that don't really match with reality. Like, I'm a parent. I love to buy my kids Christmas presents. I, I love to see the joy of their face when they open up and they get, Laura was doing some wrapping last night. Whenever she would get something wrapped, she would slide it out in the hallway because she wouldn't let Ava into our room. And when she did, Ava would just flip out. She'd be out there shaking it. She'd be like, oh, I think I know what this was. She was so excited as she would walk down our hallway to place a present underneath the tree. I love that moment. And so a lot of times as parents, we'll, we'll have this idea that this is what we want out of our kids, that we want them to have this on their face, right? That's what we want them to act like. If you're a grandparent, man, that's what you want to see. But I don't know about what happens in your family, but typically by the time that presence is over, there's some kid doing this. They're crying, there's this expectation of all of this joy, and in the midst of it, what happens? Some kid is upset, some kid is crying, and before the day is, they've broken their new toy. Um, or you have this, this picture of wanting your family to be together like this family. You know, everybody's smiling, you've got the dog, everybody's kind of matchy-matchy, everybody's got their Santa Claus hat on. You're extremely excited about getting together with your family, only to realize that your family is more like this one, the Griswolds from Christmas Vacation. 
where you kind of stomach each other as you put on a smile and everybody, even if the food is good or bad or whatever, but everybody's just kind of stomaching each other. Why? Because it's Christmas. Or, man, you're, you're hoping to get your, your favorite gift. You have an expectation to get the Red Rider BB gun. And yet, this is what you get. You get to be Ralphie. And your mama gives you a onesie with bunny ears, okay? So we, we have these expectations about this season. We have these expectations about what this one day that we put a lot of hope, a lot of trust, a, a lot of experience into the, to piling into this one day. And what I would hope through this sermon series that you would see more than anything is that Christmas is not about a one-day event, but it truly is about beholding God in every day of your life. And therefore, that actual experience is a mere shadow of the glory and the greatness that will come to God's people. That's what we hope to see. We hope as your pastors and as people that will be teaching over the course of the next several weeks is that, that you will begin to see this God. This morning, I'm going to work through the entire book of Micah. And I know if you've come here before, which all of you have, you're flipping out right now because that's nearly impossible for me to do. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick some highlights here um, to really talk about um, some aspects of beholding God and, and some differences between expectations and what does it mean to, ex or to be expecting. If you would turn with me to the book of Micah, the book of Micah. If you don't own a Bible, you can use one of those Bibles next to you, please. If you don't have a Bible, um, or if you don't own a Bible, then please take that Bible as a gift from Mission Church to you. Let me give you a brief introduction. Micah is a prophet of God. Um, he is commissioned by God, a prophet. Don't get freaked out by that. That does not always mean that they are telling the future. Sometimes they do do those things. But, but more times in the, in the Old Testament, when a prophet comes to town, they're simply a mouthpiece of God. They're the messenger of God. They're there to kind of redirect in a lot of cases or call people to repentance. And, and during the time that Michael was a prophet, there is some crazy things that are going on in the Jewish lifestyle. The Israelites are split. There's the northern kingdom that is Samaria. There's the southern kingdom that is Judah. And, and they're really at odds. So there's kind of two different kingdoms, two different kings, two different ways of looking at um, God following him. And they have become extremely disobedient. And so God sends Micah among other prophets to these people to call these people back to themselves. These people have become um, extremely sinful in their practices. One of the things that we can see here is that there are a lot of problems. The first problem that I want to show you is what's happening in the northern kingdom in, in Samaria. And in, in your Bible there, in Micah chapter 1, verses 6 through 7, it says this, Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards. And I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images will be beaten into pieces. All her wages shall be burned with fire. And her idols I will lay waste 
For from the fee of the prostitutes she gathered them, and to the fee of the prostitute they shall return. So this is the the northern kingdom. Again, these are the chosen people of God. They're in the promised land. They have Jerusalem. They have the temple. They have the sacrificial system. Um, God has, has given them many blessings. He has been extremely patient with them. They are the people of the promise. And yet, what do we see the problem inside of the northern kingdom is, man, they are bowing down and worshiping false gods and false idols. Imagine showing up to you know, Third Baptist Church this morning, and, and you're expecting to walk in and for it to be the traditional Baptist experience, but there, there's, a, you know, a giant image of a celebrity. And instead of singing songs about God, they're, they're worshiping and singing the Beatles and, and bowing down and, and worshiping um, whatever this image is. That there are immorality that's taking place inside of the temples that these people have created um, graven images. And, and God says, you know, have no other God before me. Do not make images. Do not worship these even physical idols. And a lot of times in our times, we don't think about idols going to our house and us having statues that we bow down and worship. Typically, our idols as Americans are power money, consumerism, immorality, and these sorts of things. But during this time, I mean, this is physically worshiping these demonic idols. And these are the quote-unquote church folk. These are the people of God. And so Micah steps in and he says, here's the deal. If you continue to do this, if you continue to worship these idols, then God is going to destroy you. That even your physical graven images are going to be beaten into pieces. Well, he doesn't leave Jerusalem out of this or, or the southern kingdom of Judah. In Micah chapter 3, verses 9 through 11, flip a page over, or at least a page over in my Bible, uh, to chapter 3, verses 9 through 11, to give you a glimpse of what's happening in the southern kingdom. Hear this, verse 9. You heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight. Who builds Zion? Zion is Jerusalem. With the blood and Jerusalem with iniquity, it, its heads give judgment for a bride. It's Priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come to us. So in the northern kingdom, you've got the worship of these, these pagan idols. And in the southern kingdom, what's primarily taking place is, is there's a lot of injustice being done, a lot of sinful criminal activity that is being done amongst the church or the Israelites' leadership. It's governing officials. What are they doing? Man, they're, they're giving over to bribes. So its government is doing things based on bribes. 
It's priest, or maybe what we would say is a pastor. They're, they're teaching, or they're, they're doing their priestly duties, but they're doing them for a price. They're charging money for these things to happen. The, the prophets, the mouthpieces of God that are supposed to be calling people to repentance and, and proclaiming the glory of God are doing these activities for money. And yet, notice what they do. Yet they believe, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come to us. We see in a list of sins here that I'll read off to you, um, adultery, as I've mentioned, in Micah 1-7 and in chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, there's the seizure, these are all sinful things here, the seizure of property, we see that in chapter 2, verses 2 and 9. This failure of civil leadership in chapter 3, and then also in chapter 7, there's corrupt religious government in chapter 3, corrupt prophets in chapter 3, um, in verses 5 through 7, and um, trying to, to buy God's favor through outrageous personal sacrifices. So um, in one of the passages in Micah chapter 6, they're like, you know, what does God want? What does he require? How can we get God to do something for us? Does he require that we sacrifice uh, thousands of animals? Um, does he require that, that we send to him rivers of oils? And then they go as far as to say in Micah chapter 6, does, does he want us to kill our firstborn? Is that what we need to do? That we need to take our firstborn and we need to sacrifice our firstborn so that God will move. There's corrupt business practices and violence in chapter 6 as well. So there is just tons of issues. There is uh, depravity is, is not just taking place in the world, but depravity is also weaseled its way inside to the people of the promise. The people of God are as deceived as those that are outside. They look more like those people than they do the covenant people of God. Ultimately, this is what is happening inside of Micah is that God's chosen people are living very, very, very wicked lives, but are expecting God to take care of them simply because they're God's covenant and that they had the holy city as part of their land. See, these were the people's expectations. Man, we can, we can live however we want to live. We can be lucrative. We can even use this thing called the covenant for our own wealth. We can even use these, these blessings. We can use our talents. We can use our speaking ability. We can use our land. We can lose our might. We can use the temple. We can use all of these things for whatever purpose we want. And God is going to continue to bless us. Why? Because we're simply his, we're simply his children. We are his people. These were their expectations. Due to their adultery, greed, covetedness, consumerism, and the disobedience of their leaders, God sends Micah to the people. Micah begins to proclaim to the to the people, to the, to the Israelites. He begins to proclaim to them to, to return to God. See, God has a, a really big issue with, with nominal religion, doesn't he? 
with just complacent, nominal, that means by name only, religion. Believing that you can hold to some truth about God and yet live contrary to his word and expect blessing. Man, I've, I've heard of people all the time that they're, they're, they're living with their boyfriend and girlfriend and they're saying and using the excuse that God has allowed them and has called them to live in that sin. See the issue there? Man, it's okay, God. We're married in God's eyes. So they're asking for God's blessing in the midst of, of sin. They're, they're living this paradoxical kind of poser life of claiming to be with God, to claiming to be in a follower of Yahweh, and yet they're practicing evil mixed with Judaism. And they're expecting it. Why? Simply because of their nationality. Yet God, again, sends Micah tells them, calls them to repentance. And he, here, here's what he tells them. He says, here's the thing. You right now who, who think that you're haughty, who, who are arrogant and prideful, I want you to know that God is going to destroy these kingdoms. That he is going to scatter these people. That, that you who claim to know Yahweh are going to be scattered amongst the nations. And even the, the, the Assyrians and the Babylonians, your bitter enemies, are going to come and take over this land. And it's from God. A few weeks ago, whenever our country was trying to decide who our president was going to be, I tried to make it very clear in conversations with people. We, we need to understand that sometimes God will give us an earthly king, an earthly president, and sometimes that is for prosperity. But other times, that is for judgment. Here, it's for judgment. In the book of Micah, God is judging the people, the people of God. He is going to take from them the land that, that he has given them because they are being disobedient children. And in order to bring them back in the fold, he is going to allow them to be under oppression. See, what we see in Micah is that God is a righteous judge. And these people deserve judgment. However, we also see in the book of Micah that he is also a gracious, merciful Savior who provides reconciliation for himself, to himself. So we have this problem inside of Micah, but we also have an answer. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Micah, chapter 5. Book of Micah, chapter 5. Listen to what he says here. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us with a rod. They will strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. And so here's what's happening. Is he's saying to these people, Israel, gather your troops, but it's not going to matter. The war that is coming against you, the judgment that is coming against you from the Assyrians and the Babylonians are going to destroy you. It doesn't matter if you have more troops than them, you are going to be destroyed. Verse 2, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, 
From you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name, excuse me, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. So God exposes the problem. He exposes the sin, and it is no less wrathful. His his divine, righteous judgment declares that this judgment is true, that it is just, and yet God also provides the answer for these people. He goes from this idea of Jerusalem being unable to protect itself from the pagan army to verse 2, the, the insignificance of this little town of Bethlehem, which is primarily in the shadows of Jerusalem, but, but from this small place where King David was born, there will be a true and better David coming from that place. Because judgment is coming, verse 3 They will lose their kings. They'll lose their kings. Till when? To the birth of the Messiah. In verse 4, we learn that, that they will be like sheep without a shepherd, but then when the Messiah comes, he will shepherd his people. In verses 5 and 6, he, he, he tells us that then he will deliver them from the oppressive rule. And then in verse 7 through 15, out of the masses of disobedient people, God saves this remnant. So God steps into the scene. He tells these people, you're being sinful. You're being disobedient. You're worshiping these pagan idols, these pagan gods, but I want you to know those things are coming. I'm not going to relinquish them from coming, yet there will be one. There will be one. The Messiah will be born. And and these earthly kings, these governors, these rulers, these things that, that you are expecting to bring you peace and comfort, they will be destroyed until the Messiah comes. But when the Messiah comes, he's going to set up his kingdom. You are going to be like a sheep without a shepherd. But one is coming who will shepherd his people. See, all the way back in the book of Micah, Micah is pointing towards Jesus. 
Jesus, Jesus, Micah is, is pointing toward the birth narrative. Um, Micah is, is pointing toward the life of Jesus. Micah is pointing to the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Micah is pointing toward the ascension of Jesus. Micah is pointing toward the return of Jesus. Micah is always about Jesus. He's telling you, though you have great expectation for the moment that you're in, we want you to realize in the midst of you being destroyed, by, God, by the hand of God, there is the answer that is coming to that problem. And his name is Jesus. But see, Jesus doesn't do things the way that the Jews were expecting, were they? We have seen through the Gospel of Matthew that, that when Jesus came onto the scene, that they were expecting a, a warlike king to overthrow the Romans. But that's not how Jesus does it this time. See, they were expecting him to do this. This is why the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Zealots keep coming against Jesus. Even Jesus' only family don't understand what Jesus is doing because their expectation of Jesus was different than the biblical one. Jesus does not come with military might, but Jesus comes in a babe wrapped in in swallowing clothes. Jesus, when he comes as a baby lying in a manger, he, he, he does not come to shed the blood of others, but he comes to shed his own blood. In the book of Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, it says, And through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus doesn't come as a babe to destroy. No, Jesus came to be destroyed by laying down his life for his sheep. John chapter 10, verse 15. This is why Jesus comes. Their expectations did not match the reality of who Jesus really was. And so what is the results he tells us here in this passage, flip on over to Micah chapter 7. Micah chapter 7 verses 18 through 20 says this. We have learned that, that there is a problem, it is sin, it is adultery, it is pride, it is arrogance, it is wickedness mixed with some sort of uh, powerless holiness. And yet God answers that through the coming Messiah. Through that coming Messiah, there is going to be a remnant that is going to be saved. And what is the result to the answer? Verse 18. Who is God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance he does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. See, brothers and sisters in Christ, 
the result for those whom God saves, for those who will repent, for those out of the remnant, out of the masses, God is going to save a remnant. He has done that from Genesis to Revelation. We have seen this picture. Instead of destroying the earth as we all deserve, God chooses in his sovereign grace to save some. That remnant comes to repentance because faith has been embedded into them through the power of the Holy Spirit. And because faith is in them, they turn in repentance to follow after this Messiah. And what is the result? Our transgressions, our sin, our deserved punishment is not laid upon our shoulders this Christmas, but we are reminded this Christmas that our sin, our transgressions are not the gift and the punishment that we get, but it is the gift that is given to Jesus. And the Son, they're laid upon the firstborn, the Son of God, the Son of Man. In the book of Romans chapter 3, This is Christmas in a nutshell. Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 26. For there is no distinction for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This is was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we need not be scared of biblical terms and the doctrine of things like propitiation. It is because of of what Jesus has done, because he has come as the Messiah, because he has come as the good shepherd, because he has now reconciled us to God. He is our propitiation. What does that mean? That means the wrath that you and I deserve in our transgressions and sins has been completely appeased through Jesus. But it's not just left there. It's not just an appeasement and to be left to ourselves. But no, brothers and sisters in Christ, may we be reminded this Christmas that, that, that Jesus, his death upon the cross, appeased the wrath of God, but it also reconciles us back to God. See, we are a pardoned criminal who is then lavishly blessed. Imagine the confessed, known, multiple serial killer. And on on the day of his conviction, on the day of, of what would be his capital punishment, someone walks in and says, hey, man, we know that you're guilty. And he's like, yep, I'm guilty. I've done this. And somebody walks in at that right moment. He deserves death. He, he, he deserves wrath. He deserves this punishment. And in the right time, in the right moment, someone walks in and, and, and realizes and says to this gentleman, um, you have been pardoned to go free. But not only have you been pardoned to be set free from the prison and from this, this death that you are about to experience, but we're also going to give you a house and, and cars and a bazillion dollars. We're going to completely take care of you. But he's like, I'm, I'm guilty. Yeah, we know. We know. 
I mean, the beauty, or one of the many aspects of the beauty of the cross and resurrection of Jesus is that as we sing in that song, that he would look upon me and yet he would pardon me. Why though? Because he sees the person and work of Jesus. He, he sees that, that, that our, our iniquity, iniquities have been pardoned, that he has passed over our transgressions. See, brothers and sisters, we can't get all about Christmas in just a birth narrative if we don't know the rest of the story. Paul isn't preaching in the New Testament the birth. Paul is preaching the cross. Paul is preaching the resurrection. And so we see all of this narrative, all of what is happening in this season through the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, the shepherd king, because of the shepherd king, we are now empowered through the Holy Spirit to reflect the character and nature of God. This is the resulting, we are the benefactors of this amazing grace, and because of that, it, it enables us to be empowered with this Holy Spirit in, 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 in order to reflect the character and the very nature of God. Behold that. Grab a hold of that truth. It's not what we learned in Matthew, that my family are those who do the will of God. How are we able to do that? Through the grace and mercy of God, because Jesus has provided that character. He has given us this new identity, and we need to behold that this is God that we're talking about. And I know that even as I say that, it just flippantly comes across my lips and past your ears. But God is God, ladies and gentlemen. If he's God, then that changes everything. And that's what we need to behold this Christmas, because everything you get is going to end up at Hope House one day being sold for nothing. It's where it's going. What you can't take with you, but what we can take with you is a beholding of an almighty God who came in the form of a baby born in a virgin to a, who a daddy who had every right to walk away from that situation. And yet what does God do? He, God shows up and what does Joseph do? He beholds God. And when he beheld God, that changed everything about the trajectory of Joseph's life. We don't even hear much about Joseph after Jesus being about 12 years of age. But he hold true to what Michael was preaching about. That there would be one. His name would be Jesus, that the shepherd king would come. And that, yeah, he's going to do things that are going to blow our expectations out of the water. But it is because of Jesus, because of his character, because of his nature. Probably the most famous passage in all of Micah is found in chapter 6, verses 8, right? When he says this, after they begin to ask these questions, you know, what does God require? Does he, he, does he want all of these things? Micah responds in 6, 8, Has he told you, O oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Brothers and sisters, you cannot manipulate the Almighty God. You don't even need to try. 
What we need to do this morning and what we need to do every morning of our lives is to behold the almightiness of God himself, to know him in intimacy. And because of that, we can reflect this very truth. Is this not a great depiction of the identity and nature of Jesus? That he would do justice. Jesus does justice perfectly. And that he would be kind, that he would love kindness, that he would call children to come sit on his lap as he preached the gospel, that he would touch a, a dirty leopard, that he would call a prostitute woman to his side and drink from her cup or allow another one to wash his feet with his tears. This is Jesus who is loving kindness. Why? Because Jesus is the epitome of walking humbly with our God. And because Jesus did it, guess what we can do? We can do it. See, if you make this Christmas season about you, you will not be just. You will not be kind. And you will not walk humbly. May we stop putting so much expectation on a day. And may we start expecting God to do what God is going to do because I guarantee you brothers and sisters that what God has willed and what God has planned is far greater than what you and I can expect see many of us are like those who are the Jews inside of Micah's time we're we're trying to serve two masters we we want um, to be the masters of our own domain. We want to be the kings and the queens of our own lives. We want to kind of, seg- uh, you know, kind of segment out our lives and compartmentalize our, our relationship with God. You know, that's what we do on Sunday morning. That's what we do at a missional community group. And then the rest of our lives be separate from what God has for us. We want to walk in wickedness with a, a taste of Christendom. That's when Jesus shows up. When Jesus shows up in the New Testament, how are the Jews? They're in slavery. They're in bondage. What Michael was talking about is exactly what happened. They had no earthly king, and yet Jesus shows up to a, 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 you know, a schizophrenic group of people. People who are playing the masquerade, who are playing the dance, and Jesus showed up in this moment. And he does it. See, for, for us as believers, we not only think about the, what Jesus has done, but we, we eagerly wait, we actively wait on him to return. See, a lot of these passages for us this side of the resurrection become about a future return. This morning, as Christians, we, we eagerly wait, we, we actively wait while our, our eyes are, are looking to the heavens, brothers and sisters, our hands should be the plow on the plow of his mission. See, brothers and sisters, if we truly beheld our God, then the idols and the trappings And the dangerous expectations of Christmas would become strangely dim. I want you to know that closer I get in my relationship with Jesus, I become less consumed with anything that this world has to offer. I'm the most terrible person to ask what you want for Christmas. Christmas. 
my wife, it drives her absolutely nuts. Because I, I honestly, and this, it's only by the grace of God, I'm not saying I don't ever want anything, but I just, I don't think about those sorts of things, and it's only because the grace of God is, because as I'm beholding and beholding, and as he allows me to do that even more and more and more and more, there's this, this stuff, this world seems not to hold as much value as it once did. Christmas is not about pretending that the pain and suffering isn't there, is it? But it's the realization that God comes in the midst of the pain and the suffering. See, when, when we truly will see in the midst of pain and suffering what we are beholding, we, we see what we are beholding not when our lives are good, but in the darkest of our moments. And brothers and sisters, I cannot paint a dark enough picture of what was happening when Jesus was born, as dark as it was for these people. And yet, what does God do? God comes in the midst of that darkness and that pain. Jesus is born at such a time as this. We can all look in our world, can't we? There are many parallel factors from what we can see in our own country, what we can see in our own lives this morning, and what was happening to the people during Micah's ministry. We can see lots of comparisons. We can see lots of dangers, and let, yet not, excuse me, uh, let us not lose hope this morning. I love this quote from John Bloom. He's a blogger at Desiring God. He says this, Advent season is the celebration of the unexpected Jesus coming at an unexpected time in an unexpected place to pay the unexpected, unfathomable price to give us unexpecting sinners the undeserved gift of complete forgiveness of sin an unimaginable gift of eternal life. Christmas is not about fulfilling our holiday expectations. It's about celebrating Jesus' overwhelmingly accomplishment for us and following in his humble servant footsteps. You want to understand Christmas? Get a basin of water and a towel and wash people's feet. And don't expect people to wash yours. You want to truly understand and behold God this Christmas. Then Don't make it about gifts. Make it about the gift. The person of Jesus. See, brothers and sisters, the real Jesus, the biblical one, is much greater than our expectations. We need to move from having expectations that often cannot be met to expecting. I know it's semantics here, but expectations often and quickly become demands and idols, don't they? You expect this to happen. You've already played it out in your mind. You've already willed it in some way. You have become the God of yourself and you have saw into the future and you have seen that this is going to happen. This is the expectation. May we move from, 
from creating idols out of our expectations to becoming expecting people who are eagerly waiting. Because see, the difference between expectations and being expecting is this, is expecting there's still a lot of hope there. There's still a lot of mystery there. It's, it's the difference between my will be done and expecting God's will to be done. And whatever God's will is that is done is being completely satisfied in the truth of knowing that he is God. And I am not. We have hope in the midst of darkness, don't we? This is why we can celebrate. This is why out of so many seasons in the year that we can turn our hearts and our affections not toward a day, but toward a person and having hope and resting in the mystery and the things that we don't understand, but trusting all the while that God has got it. That he's got it. Don't have unrealistic, unbiblical expectations. Have biblical ones. Resting in the promises and the truth of God. I would contend to you in closing this morning that the biggest issue inside of the American church is that we claim to know a God, and yet that God is not the God of the Scriptures. It's not the one in the book. And so we, when we, he does things that we don't expect, when he does things differently than the way that we expect him to do them, it totally rocks our world. Brothers and sisters of Mission Church, may we be forever faithful in pursuing the biblical Jesus, the biblical power of the Holy Spirit, and the ultimate almighty God, Father himself, the, the blessed Trinity, our God, the one whom we should walk humbly before in fear and admiration and respect and honoring, trusting all the while he's got this. This is his deal and there is beauty in him doing things in ways that don't make sense behold this God behold Jesus let's pray